The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to OPCC. It's good to have you here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. And we will jump in there today and continue our series on kingdom. Phil and Karen. All right. Welcome home, all right? You guys, have you got lunch plans today? You do now, okay? You come to my house at 1230. All right? You good for that? Like, like, <laughs> I got, like the Lord, man, I've been praying for you guys. They uh, came, uh, what, I don't know, right before Labor Day, had to do some traveling. And the first thing Phil said is, man, we have found our church family. Like, this is our, our home. And so, like, we want you to get deeper in with the family. We've got some other folks coming over, and I want you to come as well. Just felt like the Lord leading me to do that. I don't, I don't know if we'll have enough to eat, but we'll have fun, okay? <laughs> no, it, it's going to be a good time. So, so welcome back home to you guys. Glad all of you are here. Um, I'm waiting on uh, <laughs> Bill stepped out. Um, like, get Bill out, man. Like, get Bill out of the... F- <laughs> Bill's messing up my story, man. Carrie, Bill's messing up my story. And when he comes in, everybody say, yeah. Here he comes right now. Ready? Ready? One, two, three. Okay. Yay, Bill! <laughs> All right, let me tell you about Bill. Bill, you can go sit down now that I've just... Uh, no, don't go out there. I'm going to tell a story about you. Okay, so everybody, Bill... <laughs> I want, this is why I want to... Yeah, that's what I'm going to tell. Okay, all right, so let me tell you how I met Bill. Um, I, I met Bill at Lifetime playing basketball. And so I go up there, and, and I haven't been able to play recently due to the knee surgery and everything. But, man, it's getting better. I'm getting ready to, go, getting ready to start going back. And so, uh, but anyway, <laughs> Bill, um, before he started coming to church here, um, you, know, you know how it is on basketball court. Like, you, you, like it's, it's good competition, good, healthy fun. Well, one day, one day we were playing, and somehow Bill caught an elbow and split his eye way open, and it was my elbow. <laughs> and so Bill is the only guy here that has literally, like, I've just put him an elbow right in the eye, and he stayed around. And uh, so anyway, I, uh, the reason I'm talking about Bill is because um, uh, Bill can testify about this, okay? Um, he could testify that, one, I like to shoot three-pointers, don't I, Bill? Bill's a pretty good three-point shooter. And Bill, will, Bill can testify that, that most of the time, I, you know, we'll play games to 11, going by twos and, and, and ones, and most of the time, I'll shoot probably, for the whole time we're there playing, I'll, I may shoot six and hit one or two, right, Bill? Is that about right, if I'm lucky? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and so, so anyway, so I went this early this year. I was up there playing, <laughs> and and uh, it was the first time I'd been playing in, in a long time. And it was kind of like when you go play golf. You know, you haven't played golf in a long time. You show up, you don't remember any of your bad habits, and you're just making good shots. And then you go the next time, and it's terrible. Uh, well, so I was just hitting three pointers. And I just kept hitting them and kept, it was like, man, just let the ball go and it will find its way in the hole. And, and so I made 12 three-pointers, like not in one game, but in the, all the games we played. And so I've never done anything like that in my life. 
Bill could testify. He was not there when it happened. But it was so overwhelming that the guys on the sidelines were laughing because they knew that should not be happening. That Jimmy should not be shooting like that. And so, so like it was just one of those moments where it just clicked and man, like I was in the zone in that moment. And so with every shot that would happen, you conquer more territory. And, and there were a couple of games I even was able to shoot the last shot in the game, you know? Um, and, and, and so like, it's just a rewarding experience as you're moving on the scoreboard, you're moving the team, you're conquering ter- territory for the team. When we function in the king's zone like that, that's exactly what's happening. We are, we are accomplishing and we are accumulating territory for the king. And we can function in the zone. And the more in tune we are with the Holy Spirit, and the more we're sitting with the Lord, the easier it is to function in that zone. And here, here's what I would say to you as a church. Like, you need to get ready, bros and sisters. Like, the Lord is doing it. Like, he's, he's giving a new outpouring in my life. Like, I can, I can sense it. It's a little overwhelming. I'm reminded of uh, when I first answered the call of ministry, um, there were two little ladies and they came up to me at a church camp for teenagers. There weren't very many people there. And, and these two little ladies, they came over and they pulled me out away. Like they were in their um, 70s. I think one of them was probably a little older than that. And they pulled me aside and they like spoke a word over me. And they said, like I'll never forget this. They said, you have been anointed to preach the gospel. And we want to pray over you. And, they, and nobody, like, nobody knew this was happening. They just felt the Lord impressing. And they prayed over me. And it was a big deal for me in my life. And what I want you to know is like right now I feel like there's, there's something new. Like the Lord is pouring an outpouring of something I haven't tasted before. Something that is fresh. Something like when we sing that, 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 that song, New Wine, Make Me a Blessing. Like the Lord is like something is rolling inside of me. And, and it's exciting, and you are part of that. And I know you guys pray for me, and, and here we are as a body. We're working to try to do what the Lord has called us to do. And, and, and so I'm just like experiencing the Lord move in me, and I know he's moving in you, and I know he wants to move in you in an incredible way. And when we are, when we are functioning in the zone, the same thing that can happen that was abnormal for me on the basketball court is an abnormal thing that can happen for me in the kingdom. But it can be something that the Lord continues to do. I do think there are occasions when there is a supernatural outpouring for special occasions that the Lord sort of raises us up and does something a little bit more powerful than normal times. Um, But I think that consistently when we are functioning in the zone with the kingdom, in the kingdom zone, that we will conquer territory for the king. And and so how does this work? It works with relying on the king. Because, because we're doing the work of the king or the kingdom, then we can rely on the king to provide for us. That's why we, Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. You know, our Father which art in heaven. What? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Give me what? What I need today to do thy will. That's what we're like. That's the idea and objective around the Lord's Prayer. Not that we recite the Lord's Prayer, but that the Lord's Prayer is something that we incarnate, that we understand that all of the provision that we need must come from heaven in order to conquer the territory for the kingdom on earth. Your authority in heaven is pulled down to earth. Okay, so, so when, when we're walking in that, the Lord enables us. Now, I started the week, man, and I, uh, I, 
I started the week with a heavy load. I was, we were leading up to the Brown to Green Conference, had an incredible experience there. We, we were able to host it. I was responsible for the Thursday evening um, portion of it, which was a heavy load spiritually, picking it up, preparing, making sure that I had a plan together, but still being flexible for the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wanted to do and being sensitive to what he was asking me to do, working with all the worship leaders. And so I, I had that there, and then I had my Sunday morning sermon that I needed to prepare prepare for. Then I had a lot of other stuff um, inside the church and outside of the church that I was obligated for. And I got a phone call that my cousin passed away. And, and he had called me three weeks ago and he wanted me to do the funeral. He specifically asked me to do the funeral. So now I've got another sermon that is put upon me where I'm going to go back and minister to my family and the funeral's back in Oklahoma City and it's on Saturday. So I've got to do this Thursday thing. I've got to do the conference on Friday. I've got to go back to Oklahoma, preach the sermon, and then I've got to show back up to OPCC on Sunday. Now, I, I, certainly I could have easily, I almost did as a matter of fact, Preston, you almost got called up to pinch hit, man. You almost got caught. But I thought the Lord was telling me on Monday as I sat with the Lord and I said, Lord, like, I don't know how I'm going to get all this done, and the Lord just came over me, and he said to me, um, he impressed upon my heart, he said, um, the words came out of my mouth as I said, I don't know how I'm going to get this done, but I'm going to enjoy watching you make a way. And he, like, so, so I came up, Thursday was incredible, and then um, we got through the conference, the entire conference was awesome, and, and I didn't get in bed until 2 o'clock in the morning on Friday, I woke up at uh, 6 on Saturday, me and my mom jumped in the car and left at 8, I arrived at the funeral home at 1.08, the funeral was at 2, I preached the funeral, we laid my, my cousin to rest, and, and that, that sermon, I swear to you, that sermon was one of the easiest I've ever preached and probably one of the, the most powerful. It just came out of me. Like it, it felt like I could have gotten up and said Beetlejuice and people would have been like, that was amazing. <laughs> You know, like it was just all the Lord. And, and so then I got in the car and I drove right back here. And man, I had a time with the Lord on the way back and just filling up, listening to worship music, talking to the Lord. And, and, and then I got home about nine o'clock. Uh, and then uh, we had, we had a, some, uh, my niece is here and, and they brought, uh, it's Jeremy, right? Br what is his name? I, I've only known the guy, okay, for a few hours. And I get home, and the guy's sitting in my recliner. Man, when I left, he was asleep in my recliner. I got home, and he was, uh, he was sitting in my recliner. I, I haven't been to sit in my recliner all weekend because Bryson's been in it. But the Lord gave me a new bro, man. Like, we connected, man. And I, 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 like, I love you, bro. Like, even though you talk trash, man, I, I think that's why I love you. And so, so I got a new friend, man, and then I, I, I'm, I'm here this morning, and I just woke up ref refreshed, and this is what the Lord was saying to me all in, the, in all of that. When I sit with the Lord, you guys will get a whole lot of Jesus and a little bit of Jimmy. And when I don't sit with the Lord, you'll get a whole lot of Jimmy and a little bit of Jesus. When we're in the zone and we sit with the Lord, the people around us we'll get a whole lot less of us and a whole lot more of Jesus. And we don't have to work at it. Like, it just happens. It just, we're in the zone. 
And that's a place where, where we want to strive to be is in the kingdom zone as we prepare for what the Lord is going to do in this body of believers. There's a movement. There, there's something happening. Like something has shifted where all of this prayer that I have invested in this ministry over the last eight years, seven, going on eight years, and just been, we've been, we've been putting our, our, our shoulder to the plow. It feels like something has shifted. It feels like the Lord is like, uh, it's time. Like something's about to happen around here. And so I say that um, not to just like, like I say that so you're ready. Like I want you to be ready because you are the people that are going to be on the forefront of as the, God, as the Lord raises this, this thing up and continues to move his kingdom out from this particular place on the planet. It's going to be us working in the zone to see it come to a reality. So when we look at Acts chapter 14... Um, we see some things about being in the zone. So I want to I read seven verses today, which is really good news because the last couple of weeks it's been like 50 verses. And so that's hard to get through, but we only have seven today. Okay, so let's, let's jump into them, and I'm going to share some other scripture with you, make some observations about the text, and let's talk about how do we, how do we, how do we live in the kingdom zone on a daily basis. So it says um, that at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas... Remember, they had been ministering in another city, and now they, they were expelled from that city. And so they were trying to do some work of the kingdom. They faced opposition. They were expelled, but disciples were left behind. And so they make their way to Iconium. It says, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. And there they spoke so effectively. I think that's the zone. That's what's keying me on, in on, is that they spoke so effectively at the synagogue that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Just boom. The kingdom just moved right there. And it says, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. What do we see consistently that the Lord is teaching us by preserving in the, in the word for us? Every time there's movement in the kingdom, there's always opposition. So every time you get some movement, like here's what Abby and I know. It's so funny, man. After this many years of ministry, like we'll, we'll get into it. Did y'all know we did that? Like, we will get into it sometimes. She'll be like, and I'll be like, and not hollering, no throwing dishes. And we will immediately say, it's because the Lord is moving. Like, we know that. We know that when the Lord is moving in a stronger way in the kingdom, the first thing the enemy attacks is our relationship. But, but the beauty of it is, is as we're both striving to live in the zone of the kingdom, we both are aware of this, having been in ministry for a good long time now, we know what's going on. And so we're able to be in agreement, um, seek the king, walk that out, and it doesn't cause separation in our lives. As a matter of fact, we've learned to navigate through it that it can actually be something that the enemy seeks to use for evil, but it is something that draws us much deeper and closer together as we understand what's going on around us. And so... We see that the enemy is opposing any time that the kingdom moves. And so uh, it says that they poisoned their minds against the brothers. That's strong language that, that, that Luke is using. And so, so it says, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. And the people of the city were divided, okay? Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot 
among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. Like, it was bad, man. And it says, but they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where what? They continued to preach the good news. They stayed in the zone in spite of the opposition. They were moving and listening to the Lord as he was leading them. And so what makes being in in the zone so rewarding is offensively doing battle against the opposition. The lie that Christianity has bought in the softened, softened Western version of Christianity is that, man, it's hard. It's hard. Like It's hard to pray. It's hard to sit with the Lord. It's hard for me to manage my time. And so we, uh, since this becomes hard for us, then we think, well, I just can't get it done. And you become the guy at lifetime that we do not want on our team because you will not run up and down the floor because it is hard. And so that's part of the battle. That's part of what makes it so fun is we are opposing something. So we cannot look at the stuff that makes the life hard and go, man, that, that is really difficult and scary for me. we got to look at that and go, that is an opportunity for me to conquer king or territory for the kingdom as I engage in doing life with another human being on whatever level that the Lord has asked me to, and we move forward in that. And so the, the opposition against us is what makes being in the kingdom so rewarding is that the power of the Lord is poured out through us. That's why we sing these songs about being crushed and about being um, something new happening and the Lord pouring out. May may I be a blessing, Lord. May make me new wine. Do something in me each and every place that I go so that you can pour your spirit through me and I actually become the hands and feet of Jesus. And that is why Paul calls us the body of Christ. Amen? Like you see what's happening here? He's like the opposition... Is not something that should get us down. The opposition should be something that encourages us that we're on the right track. Like we should just expect it. And if we're not experiencing that opposition, then we need to realize that we are not walking in the midst of the war that the Lord has called us to engage in and do battle, which Paul eloquently describes as spiritual warfare. And so we, that's, that, that's why we see, um, uh, hap- that's what we're seeing happening in this text is that they stayed in the king's zone and they kept uh, conquering territory for the king. So what are the observations? Let me give you a few and, and make some application and then let's go live in the zone. Here we go. There are two zones to live in. That's the first observation I make from the text. And they are either divine or evil. Those are the only two zones. You're, you're, you, there's no such thing as being indifferent. You see, when we say, what about those people who are indifferent to the things that are going on and that are divine, as opposed to we know there are some that are opposing it, Jesus said, if you don't join him, you are against him. So anytime we're not about the kingdom's business and we've become indifferent to it and we're not moving forward, we are functioning in the evil zone. And, and, and this is like you can see the Lord painting this picture throughout Scripture before Jesus showed up on the planet. We look at the children of Israel. What were they called to do? Follow the command of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, thou art, the Lord thy God is one. Uh, love him with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. 
And they were to follow the Lord in faith. And what would they do? They would get outside of the kingdom zone and they would stray away from the Lord. And the Lord would have to bring them back. And so we see this happening over and over. We, we have to be people who understand that when we get outside of the zone of the Lord, we are operating in an evil, evil zone. If you don't know you're operating in the divine zone, then you are probably living in the evil zone. And so I go back to the illustration of the children of Israel. What happened to them is that though they were free, they often lived like slaves. Though they were the chosen people of God, they lived like the nations who were not chosen. And so the same thing can happen for us is we can be people who have been born again and know the king and we could get lulled into a place of pacification where we're, we're, just, we're just existing. We've become indifferent to the things of the kingdom. We're not engaged in the battle. We're not trying to achieve territory, a, a, a conquer territory for the king. And so then all of a sudden we become people who are living like slaves, though we have been set free by the king. So, so we have to understand that there are two zones to live in. And people are either in a, the divine zone or they are then in the evil zone. And what do we look for? We look for people who are functioning in the evil zone but are indifferent. What I mean by that? In Luke chapter 10, I believe it is, we learn the con or six, we learn the concept of people of peace. People of peace are people potentially who the king is calling to be about his business, but they're somewhat indifferent. And so they're indifferent to um, the king's business, they're indifferent to the business of evil, or they don't realize they're caught up in that zone um, because it is all spiritual. Like we're not saying that 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 people willingly are like devil worshipers or anything like that. We're just saying, man, this is the reality of the truth of the word of God. There's a divine zone, there's an evil zone, and we're either functioning in the divine zone, and if we're not, we're in a, a, a zone that is evil. And so we target people who are outside of the king's zone and try to bring them to the place of living in the king's zone. That's exactly what Paul and Barnabas did, and that's why they went to the synagogue first. They went first to the people of God who had received the message of God and the promise of God, and they wanted to see how many of them would accept Jesus as the Messiah. So, so that brings me to the, the second observation. Being in the kingdom zone requires rhythm. It says that they went to the synagogue as usual. As usual they had a rhythm about their lives. Each time they would go into the new city, they would go into the synagogue. So we see a rhythm. Where does that rhythm come from? I think it comes straight from their time of learning how to sit with the Lord and have a rhythm in their own lives of abiding with the Father. As Jesus has taught us in John chapter 15, if you do not abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. We learn to sit with the Lord. We learn to sit in his word. We learn to listen to what he's saying. And then we move forward and we will develop a rhythm in our lives that takes us into places where we can connect with people who need to be brought into the king's zone and help them find the freedom that we have found. And so we see Paul and Barnabas doing this. They had a prayer rhythm about them, no doubt. They operated from the up, okay? So they operated first from the up, then they went in and as they would do the work in, they would see with what is happening inside the nation of Israel, and then it would be rejected, and they would move out to the Gentile world. Up, in, out, every time. I go up with the Father, 
And then I go in with other brothers, and I go out and minister to the world. So that's the rhythm of our lives. The problem is, is we often try to do the in and out without the up. And we become anemic, and we have no power. And our shot is broken, like my, mine is most of the time on the a basketball court. Okay? But when I'm sitting with the Father, it is not broken. It is whole because I'm receiving what the Lord wants me to do as he leads me along. My, my ears, my spiritual ears and my spiritual eyes are in tune with the Lord. And so therefore, I can see what is going on around me through the eyes of Christ because I've taken on the mind of Christ as the scripture tells me to do. And therefore, I achieve the will of Christ and I'm functioning in the zone. So this is so vitally important for us to have rhythm in our lives. Here's the, th the third observation from these seven verses. Discipleship is how we conquer territory for the kingdom. This is why Jesus said, go make disciples. You say, well, how do you get that out of the text? Well, the way I get that out of the text is what we see from the text in these seven verses, it feels like they were there for a couple of days and then they moved on. But the truth of the matter is, is they were there, the people poisoned the minds of the people who became believers, the infants in Christ. They were born again. They were new in Jesus. They, re they received Jesus. And then these people on the outside started working to poison the truth that they had been impacted with. They stayed for the entire winter. Okay, they didn't stay a couple of days. They stayed for the entire winter, even though these uh, Jewish and Gentile leaders in the city who were prominent were stirring people up and trying to get rid of them. They stayed in hostile territory, all the way to the point to where finally they were tipped off that, hey, bros, they're going to stone y'all tomorrow. Like, they're going to try to kill you. And then they felt the, the Lord telling them to move on to another city. And that's how the Lord continued to work through them. And we'll see in the next passage of Scripture, literally, they, Paul gets stoned, okay? And so we see that happening. So what, what, what did they do? Whenever they saw the Lord move in somebody else's life, things got very difficult because the opposition intensified. And what did they do? They stepped forward and matched the intensity of the opposition with the power and authority of the king. That's discipleship. We step into battles and we begin to minister to people. We stand by them. We, point, we don't just point people to Jesus. Once they find Jesus, we stand by them and we help them move to maturity. And it seems to me that most of the time when the Lord is doing work in the, in the book of, of Acts, uh, of the, apostles, uh, the Acts of the Apostles and the kingdom moving and the church just advancing and conquering territory, it seems to me that they were allowed to sit in a, a, a city for a season until the, uh, the disciples the infants became parents, and then they would move. And so we see this like over, like you read the book of Acts, it's fascinating to see that when Jesus says that the mission of the church is to there go for and make disciples, and then we, he comes in Acts chapter 1 and he says, I'm giving you power and authority to do that very thing, and then we go to 2, 3, all the way to 28, and all we keep seeing is that over and over it's happening, the very thing that Jesus said to do is happening and traveling through people intentionally making disciples of other people. And so it's, it's discipleship, not hit and run witnessing. 
not just making contact and seeing something happen. And then we go, oh, man, somebody came into the kingdom. And then we move forward. We, we walk with them until that person comes to a place of maturity. And so they, they equip them to help them know what and why they believed in Jesus. Because, see, they come and they bring the word, Jesus is the Messiah. That's what, I mean, you could go to any evangelical church in America today, and chances are really good that the pastor is going to stand up and he's going to say something about Jesus being the Savior, and the gospel has come to help you in all your brokenness. You can receive Christ and be saved. And that's, that's basically what Paul and them did. But as soon as that happened, there was opposition from the outside that tried to poison all that truth. So what did they have to do? They had to remain with them all winter to teach them how Jesus is to be Lord as well as Savior. And then once that was established, the Lord would intensify because they probably would have stayed until they died as long as they saw the Lord moving. But the Lord knew that these people were raised up. The, the mantle could be handed over to them. Persecution would intensify. The Lord would allow the persecution to intensify, and it would allow them, the disciples would be caused, uh, Paul and Barnabas would be caused to move to another city to do what? To keep the main rhythm, go into the synagogue as usual, find some Jews and some Gentiles who believe disciple them in the ways of the Lord, and then move on to the next city. Okay, so that's the rhythm, and we see that. Discipleship is how we conquer territory for the kingdom. And so they were, here's, here's what I see they were doing. This is what makes it, we talk about this poisoning of the minds. They were combating a complex system of thought that made no sense. They were, they were combating a complex system of a thought that did not have truth at the center. That's what we do. Like that is a picture of America today. Like the, the, we, we're no longer, uh, like I think we have a lot of Christians, but to be a Christian nation, I don't know. We are like the, the moral relativism is like champion right now. What's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right for me. Jesus is not at the center, and it's very much more difficult to combat that because now there is a complex system of thought that is oppressing the country that did not exist 50 years ago. That was not the case 50 years ago. There was a canopy that people, even though they were not living for Jesus, they had a, a belief in Jesus, and they had a, a sort of a moral compass that they believed that, that, that God existed. And even though they may have been living in sin, and we're not saying everyone, I'm just talking about from the majority, from, from people in leadership, people who are in leadership positions in Congress, in, in the houses across the different states uh, of, of our country, they had a moral compass where most of them um, had at least a sort of uh, an idea or a, a belief that, that God existed. That's not the case anymore. And that's why when you watch the news, everything is so confusing. Man, you're like, man, what, what is wrong with our country? It's moral relativism. People are defining truth however they want. There is a complex system of thought where the truth is not at the center. And what did Jesus say, say he was? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
And so when we put him at the center, we have to teach people, once they come to acknowledge that Jesus is Savior as the truth, they have to learn for him to be Lord of their lives and keep him at the center and everything in their lives revolve around it. That's not what we have. We have this. We have self at the center and everything revolving around self. And a lot of believers just put Jesus in that stuff that is revolving. Jesus, job, kids, hobbies, like career, vacation, like what I want to do. Nope. It's like this. Jesus, jobs, money, career, finances, hopes, dreams, marriage all revolving around Jesus. He's the moral center of all the decisions that we make. And that's what lordship is like. So when we first come into the kingdom as infants, it's functioning like this. Like all, like I'm having Jesus revolve around me, and he says, no, you will be born again. Boom, let me teach you about lordship. And somebody has to walk with you in that moment and show you how the principles of the kingdom can be unleashed in your life. And if we're going to do that, then we have to be intentional about that. We have to have a, a language and a process that is repeatable because it cannot just be somebody who's been teaching the Bible for 20 years that is making all the disciples. Or there are too many people getting left out of the kingdom. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're equipping the church with the necessary tools to take the truth of the word of God and show a new person who is an infant in Christ, either that they need to come into the kingdom zone and once they have to go from infancy to um, adulthood and, and, and parenthood ultimately where they can go and show somebody else how to live in the kingdom according to the principles of freedom in the kingdom that we find in the word of God. So what, what do we see them doing? They fought for the disciples until the disciples could fight for themselves. So what do we, what, what, what are we trying to do in discipleship? And this is what our church is really, we're invested in this. What are we trying to do? It's a slow process and we're trying to get movement with people. What we're trying to do is just as simple as say, hey, here's some tools to help you like, we've taught you how to fight in the kingdom, how to be one who opposes the opposition and conquers territory for the king. And so what we want you to do is invite some other people in your life that are people of peace, just like Paul and Barnabas did when they went into the synagogue as usual and they found some people of peace. They invited them into their lives and they started walking with them for a period of time until they could mature to their own spiritual adulthood and do that for somebody else. So we fight for people until they learn how to fight for themselves. And once they start fighting for themselves, they will not quit. Because once you have tasted of the goodness of the word of God, once you have done something where the Lord has outpoured his spirit through you and you've seen yourself accomplish something that you know you could not accomplish in your own power, even like the pre like I will to be the first one to acknowledge to you that when I stand up and preach, like when I'm really preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I could never do it without Jesus. Like, like what you're experiencing right now is the Lord rolling through me. By all intensive purposes, I should be exhausted and have called in sick today. Like that's what I should have done. But the Lord has raised me up and he said, no, I got a special work for you today. I've got my people gathered. I want you to feed them the truth of the word of God. Now I'll, I will walk away from this and, and I will be like, I will be on a high. Then about when people leave my house, I will go smack. And just crash, okay? 
but, but, but I, will, I will walk away going, man, the Lord is using me. And so in discipleship, instead of you guys always coming and watching the staff and getting excited and a little bit of a fix and getting juiced off of watching the Lord use us, we're trying to teach you how the Lord will use you the same way. And the same things that are happening in us will happen in you, and you can teach somebody else how it can happen in them, and that is the movement of the kingdom. And so discipleship is how we conquer territory for the kingdom. Here's the final observation. Discipleship brings about division. This is the hard one. The city, did you notice, was united until Paul and Barnabas showed up. Like it was, they caused a problem. They came and they brought about division because they forced a choice by delivering truth. You go, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound very Christian. They came and they made the people divided. That's exactly what they did. Is that really what Jesus would have done? Well, let's look and find out. Matthew chapter 10. Flip over there if you have your word with you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. What does Jesus say? Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men... I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone... Who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives, watch this, how hard is discipleship? If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. How simple does Jesus says, I'm coming exactly to do that. There's another time, it's pretty funny, a story. The disciples say, when Jesus is setting out on the mission, they say, hey, Jesus, here's two swords. And Jesus looks at them and says, it is enough. And he's, now he's saying, I've come to bring a sword. What is that? Well, turn to me in Revelation chapter 19. What is the sword? Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. I'm almost done. Watch this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is about the return of Jesus, when he returns to the planet um, for the third and, or 
final time. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What is that sword? It is coming out of his mouth. It is the word. So what is the sword that brings about division? It is the truth of the word of God. As we learn how to sit in the word and the truth to permeate our minds, we meditate on it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We go up based on truth, not feeling. I go up to the Father. He speaks to me in truth about things that need to change in my life, and he impresses things upon my heart, like inviting Phil and Karen to my house. Like, that was the Lord. That happened to me, like, right before I got up on the platform right there. And so I listen. And so I'm listening as I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and I reach out and I react in obedience to what the Lord has asked me to do, and I see that the kingdom begins to break out around me, all right? So when this happens, you cannot remain indifferent once exposed to truth. So we bring people into our lives We make a commitment to them to walk with them for a season. And as we make that commitment to walk with them, what we are going to do in that commitment is is teach them how to be exposed to the truth of the word so that they can what? Hear the voice of God. And I'm reminded of Jesus in John chapter 10 saying, my sheep know my voice, they hear me, and they follow So we teach them how to do that. And as we expose them to that truth, they must make a choice. You must decide, and and, and that is what discipleship is about, is inviting people in, exposing them to truth so that they can make a decision about what they're going to do with the truth. Giving them a cup of cold water, something refreshing to their souls in the name of Jesus. So it's not hard. It's intimidating, but it's not hard. Once we get in the game... We're like, I don't want anything else but this game right here. It's because we know like this is rewarding. The Lord is now pouring through me. And so what, what happens is either truth reigns at that moment in a person's life and the kingdom breaks out as you walk or you walk away from a kairos, which is what we talk about, the kingdom breaking out in your life, and you choose to rebel against the king. Okay. So if we're not willing to walk that out, like how much more clear can the Lord make it for us? That this is his plan. This is not like, this is not a something we go out and we figure out and go, man, we're going to have somebody else teach us something to do. Like this is just what the word says for us to do. We've just taken a very simple thing and making it very, made it very complicated. And then we have sort of developed the church to be a more of a consumer mentality instead of a kingdom worker mentality. 
And so church now has become a place that you come to and then you go out and then you're, but when you, if you come to church and you have an experience and then you go out and you're still, everything is revolving around your life like this and you haven't learned how to flip it where everything is revolving around Jesus and you understand lordship, then you're not walking in the ways of the kingdom. You're walking in the ways of your own kingdom. Okay? So what, so what we have to do is we have to go, man, the, the work of the church is to be done by the church. Not the staff. So if you are there and you get this truth that you're exposed to, you either let it break out and you walk through it in obedience, you rebel against it, you turn away, and you are divided from that person who's fighting for you. I mean, I've had so many people in discipling relationships that I don't even talk to anymore. That's what we see happening. Like, that's, that's what happens. But then I've got people in discipling relationships that are responding to the truth, and the kingdom is breaking out in their lives, and they're getting more and more movement as they learn to see what the Lord is doing. And then the, the, the third place you could be is just stuck. And that's why you need people around you to help you move forward. And so we'll, here's the last verse and the big idea. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. This is what happens when you start walking this out in your life. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it, like Paul is explaining it. So this is after he's lived some of it. He's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, and he says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death. To the other we are an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak, uh, uh, we speak before God with, with sincerity as those sent from God. This is how the kingdom moves. It's like a flower, man. That thing is in a bud. For, like it, it comes out of that vine or that stem, that rose does, and it comes out as a bud. It is tightly wound out, and the more that it, it, it comes to life and it, it, it responds to what it was designed to be, it begins to open. And as it begins to open, as it pulls in more of the truth, in this case, of the water and the nutrients from the soil, why did Jesus tell us it need good soil? He's going to put a pull up into that rose, and that rose is going to start to open, man. And it just keeps getting, it looks better and better and better and better. This is the fascinating thing and miraculous thing I think about uh, things like that, like roses. You put them in there, I bring Abby some flowers home, like some roses or something, if they're tightened like, up like that, and they start to open, man, they just get prettier and prettier and prettier. But it is a long before you go walk in the front door and you can't see the roses, but you could smell them because they become a fragrant aroma in the home. And that's what Paul is saying. We are a pleasing aroma to Christ and we begin to impact the world around us. And as we do that, it does bring about division. And here's the big idea for today's talk. Better to be divided and some go to heaven, be united and all go to hell. Right? So here's the deal. Is we don't have enough disciple makers right now, I don't think, for everybody to be in a discipleship relationship. The truth is, is that everybody, the only people who need to be in a discipleship relationship are ready 
to step into that kind of obedience, and they're hungry for the gospel. And some of you may be there. And what I want to say to you is there are, there are seven disciple makers on deck, two women and, and I think five guys. They're on deck, and they will be beginning. And what I'd like for you to do is if you feel like, man, I can tell the Lord is like moving in me right now. I'm yearning for some of that. What I'd like for you to do is, first of all, begin praying. And second of all, if, you would, if you're hungry for a discipleship relationship, get your bulletin out right now. If you don't have your bulletin, just grab a piece of paper. Get an offering envelope. Use anything. And write your name down and say, I would like to meet with someone just to have coffee. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We're not going to guarantee that if they meet with you that you're going to, like it's going to happen. Because what has to happen is that the Lord has to be in it or you will get into a discipleship disaster. Okay? So we want, we want to make sure the right people are discipled by the people the Lord is leading to disciple them. But at least maybe we could get some movement because honestly, um, we've, we've got some people who are wanting to start discipling and it's intimidating for them. And we've got some people needing to be discipled. And what we need to do is we need, what I feel like I'm doing right now in this moment is I'm going to face the opposition and move forward and conquer some territory for the king and help to kind of bring about what does the Lord want to do in this. And so you write your name on there and just say, I would like to hear for sit with someone and talk just more about discipleship, okay? And just write that on there. Put your name down. If we do not have your contact information, we obviously need that as well. Drop it in the offering. We will lay it before the Lord, and we will see what the Lord wants to do with it. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.